Welcome to That Season Air podcast. I'm your host Gina. Stick with me as I chat to season airs, expats and adventurers across the world sharing their inspiring stories and interesting insights into living and working abroad. On today's show, I catch up with snowboard instructor, van life vlogger and all-round Irish gem, Teresa Cullen. Realising a talent for kite surfing, Teresa scored a sponsorship deciding to leave university behind and spend a summer in Sicily. Having well and truly caught the season air bug and with only a few snowboard holidays behind her, Teresa headed out on her next adventure to become a snowboard instructor in the snowy mountains of Austria. In this episode, Teresa tells us all about her transition to van life and vlogging, running us through the highs and lows of life on the road, sharing her tips, tricks and insight along the way. Stick with us right to the end of the show to hear all about Teresa's decision to leave the world of kite surfing. We get the lowdown on her experience of pandemic life living in a van. And stay tuned as Teresa tells us the expensive tale on how not to fill up your fuel tank. Here's the show. Teresa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this is great. Like, like I said, I feel like I'm in a podcast. Like, I know, obviously, like I am in a podcast, but like, I'm actually like in a podcast. Yeah, I'm so excited. So excited. That was the vibe I was going for, is mm-hmm. for it to be like a podcast. So, yeah, thanks. I feel like I've achieved what I set out to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've done a couple of these podcasts over Zoom in the lockdown, and uh, yeah, I've never done one face to face. So, first one. I feel very privileged. Thanks yeah. for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Tell us a little bit about you. Where are you from? I am from Ireland. Um, from Belfast, so the north part. Right. How did you end up doing season work? Was it always the plan or was it something that you fell into? How did that come about? It was never the plan, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> what so, was the plan? Okay, so my plan was, it's kind of one of those, it wasn't really my plan growing up. I, it was sort of my parents' plan um, okay. for me where I was in school, like this is all say gone way back, you know, I was in school they um, were wanting me to do medicine because that's what my brother did and that's what my dad is. He's a doctor and mom's a nurse. And that was what they saw for my future as well. And as a kid, and you don't really know what you want to do or like mm-hmm. what you should do. I kind of just listened to them. And so they were pushing me down that kind of route, like apply for medical school. And, and I was going with it for a while. I mean, they, they got pretty far with me. And then in the end, I just... I, I couldn't do it like just knew it wasn't for you yeah yeah so I changed my mind then to study primary school teaching and I did that for two years out of school and then in my third year I was like fuck it I don't want to do this anymore and I (laughs) literally called my mom and I was like hey mom um how's it going yeah good Uh, here tell me this what would you say, you know, hypothetically, what would you say to me if I just said I was going to drop out? She, much to my surprise, was like, I'd say do it. Huh. I was like, what? <laughs> and at that stage, like, my mom had taken early retirement, so but she's gone back to work now since, but she'd taken early retirement, and my dad had taken on a partner in his practice, and they were working way less, and they were spending, like, more time with each other, and, like, they had a lot more free time themselves. And they were like, what have we just done our whole lives? Just worked for the sake of what, you know? So, I don't know. I think I just caught my mom in a really good mood. <laughs> but yeah, we just had a bit bit of a chat on the phone. She was like, yeah, life's too short. Just do it. I'm so lucky to have supportive parents, BTW. 
anyway, I just rode that wave, and the next day I handed in my um, dropout like form in uni. I was like, all right, ta-ra, I'm off. Um, so it really was that. Like I was in third year of my degree, so I was literally almost finished. <laughs> like I could have just stuck it out and finished it. Like it was maybe a bit stupid, but do you regret it? I don't regret it, and I think I don't regret it because I can't regret it. I made such a big decision that I was kind of like, I kind of need to make this count now. I can't just drop out of uni and like not do something cool. So I just, I had, I just had to make the whole thing worth it. And you know, sometimes you get these doubts. Obviously, whenever I see my friends who've graduated, or like I meet people even on seasons, and like they're like, "Yeah, I have a degree." I'm like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> like I feel a little bit inferior because I, yeah. I don't have a degree, and yeah, like I, I, feeling, yeah. I sort of felt like there was conversations that I almost didn't deserve to be part of, or like I felt like I was like a less intellect everyone around Mm. me because of that and I'd felt sometimes like I couldn't have an opinion on things and yeah and it's purely an insecurity thing Mm. and you know it wasn't just that I I dropped out of uni and everything was great and fabulous like of course I have these doubts of course I was like oh should I should I have just finished it or you know was it the right decision but I think from what I've achieved and what I've done since that I really have made it kind and I've had so much more experience and life experience and I've learned so many more valuable lessons from what I've done to what I ever could have gained from finishing that university uh, degree so I am finishing my university degree though which is quite funny because this week I've just yeah like this week (laughs) so I mean it's not all doom and gloom you can't go back and finish it but yeah I applied for the credit transfer for open university and I have officially transferred over my credits to finish in my degree in September. So, so I'm going to be I'm going to be a qualified primary school teacher. Lord help us. That's amazing. <laughs> awesome, mate. Congrats. That's so cool. Yeah, that's that's what's new. You were talking there a bit about you've obviously had lots of different experiences, and it's led on to different things. Where did the idea come from for you to then go from uni to being in the mountains snowboarding? Yeah. So. Winter seasons was never the original plan. I was always kite surfing. Like that was my main sport and I loved kite surfing. Like my dad is into it, my brother's into it, and my parents even bought property in Egypt, like just so we could go there and kite surf. So I know we were like all well into it. My dad he had a patient who flew kites, like these just big kites on that. It sounds whack and kinda is whack, but so my dad was like, oh, this is this is class. And one of his patients gave him a kite and dad took it to the beach and just, yeah, was was really taken by that. And then he bought one of these little like three-wheeled buggies. You can like sit in this little buggy and it like pulls you along the sand, yeah, like with, with a kite, yeah, it like yeah. pulls you along the sand. So he got one of them. <laughs> <laughs> so kooky, like. And then he got a mountain board which you like attached to your feet and he just went up and down the beach in Donegal with his wee kite and his mountain board <laughs> and he would take me along and like our two poodles at the time that we had. <laughs> God, when I think back on it, it's so bizarre. There's the Cullens again. <laughs> I know, like <laughs> Rocky Horror Show or something. But we were, um, so we did that and then one day dad sees another kite on the beach and he's like, wow, someone else knows about this, this is cool. We're, so we're looking at this kite and we're looking and we're like, what, 
what's that guy doing? Oh, he's, he's in the water. He's in the sea. Oh my God, is he all right? And then we realized that he's att- attached to a surfboard. Ah. And we're, me and dad are looking at each other like, hmm, so like you can do this on water. That's pretty cool. Wow. And obviously it didn't take long for dad was, you know, had all the gear and no idea, stand on the page, <laughs> like trying to kite surf. So yeah, went to Egypt on a family holiday and the rest was kind of history, you know, just got, got into it over there. So it's nice. like, it's like kite surf Mecca over there. Wow, wicked. I started getting really good at kite surfing and I had gotten like a, a small sponsorship deal and stuff. Wow. And my parents had like got this property in Egypt so that we could go there. And I went there in the summers to train. And then one summer, and that was between second year of university and third year of university, I spent like the whole summer in Egypt and I was loving it, you know, and I saw all of the people around me at the kite spots who were instructors and I'd met some of them and hung out with some of them and they had like such amazing lives where they were living their dream, you know, Mm -hmm. like teaching kite surfing, like living on a beach and meeting all these people. And I was like, fuck, I want to do that. Like, how do you do that? (laughs) (laughs) I want that. When that summer was over, I went back to university and I was studying um, in Liverpool, by the way, so I was like away from home. I was just feeling really upset that I have to go to uni and these cool people that I've spent all summer with just get to continue their cool life. That's when I started kind of looking into it. Like, you know, at that point I wanted to become a professional kite surfer. Yeah. So I was like, I can't do uni because like I'm already too old to be a professional kite surfer at like 19 because they're all like 13 and killing it. Right. So I need to start now. I need to train right now. And that was sort of the motivation for, for dropping out of university really was that I felt like to become a professional kite surfer, I had to like start my training now and, and like I couldn't do another year of uni. So I dropped out, obviously. Uh, but you were sponsored at this point. Barely. I was sure that I was going to be a professional kite surfer. Like... <laughs> 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 like oh my god big dreams i had um but anyway you should have big dreams at 19 <laughs> yeah i know the world was my oyster and you followed them i did follow them and i think that was like that's the inspirational part of this story <laughs> i just did follow my it. dreams i did so i packed up all this shit in liverpool came back to belfast and was like right i have to go to brazil now because that's where all the kite surfers go in the winter and dad was like well you know brazil's pretty far away why don't you maybe like spend the winter because that's sort of the off season obviously for kite surfing. So why don't you maybe spend that doing some snowboarding or something? Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, snowboarding, that sounds cool. I mean, I did that when I was like 12 and uh, surely it can't be that hard. My parents, bless them, they're so supportive of me. They're like my biggest fans and my best mates. We got on the Google and we were like Googling like how do you kind of do a season in the mountains and like looking up instructor courses and there was all these zero to hero instructor courses that were, you know, 10 grand, 12 wow. grand. And obviously I don't have that money. So I'm looking like, well, it's you guys that are going to be paying for it. <laughs> <laughs> and then dad actually found the cheapest one. Shout out to Phil Blank. <laughs> it was called Soul Saver Board Sports. Mm-hmm. It was in Meyerhofen, Austria. Never heard of this place, but it does have a really cool festival called Snowbombing that happens. So like, that sounds like a pretty cool place that I'd want to go. Sent an email to Soul Saver Board Sports and got a phone call from good old Phil Blank there. And he was like, yeah, it starts in like two weeks. 
Bear in mind, I had not snowboarded since I was about 12 years old. And at that stage, you know, could barely even was that side slip. Just on like holidays, family holidays. Yeah, like could barely snowboard. Like I showed up to an instructor course. I had no idea what I was doing. Everyone was pretty good already. Mm-hmm. And I remember Phil and Laws just kind of looking at me when I strapped my board to my feet at the top of the mountain and just side slipped down. And they were like, oh God, like <laughs> I was so shit. I was really shit. <laughs> So that was that was the four week instructor course then that I took and then we did went to Andorra, did our exams and yeah, passed. Four cool. weeks later I was a fucking instructor. <laughs> <laughs> and actually I would just like to add that I beat all the boys to um the riding tech at part of the exam because they all had really bad habits from like snowboarding all the time when they were kids and I learned instructor style from the very outset. So killing it. Yeah, I was I was killing it. You found the training, you went and did it. Then what and happened I, next? I never left, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how it goes. No, I so I came here, loved it. I kind of found that when I when I moved to Meyerhofen, before this, I was the biggest like girly girl ever. You know, a night was not complete, you know, if I didn't have the tightest dress and like my tits out, you know, like in everyone's face. I mean, still do that when I'm drunk, but different kind of vibe. (laughs) Whenever I was in university and everything, I was, you know, all about the makeup, the big hair, the nails, you know, the designer clothes. So I was that kind of a bitch and quickly it got beaten out of me. I was a tomboy when I was really little. And then I just kind of like went into this weird like girly girl phase and then when I came to Meyerhofen, I met all these like cool people that I sort of felt like I, I clicked with way, way, way more than I'd clicked with anyone else before mm-hmm. in my life. And then I kind of was dialing back the makeup and the hair and I just felt like I didn't need that anymore. And I, I don't know, felt just way more at ease in this kind of environment. And How old were you at this point? I was 20. Yeah. So I spent first season here in Meyerhofen and then I got a job offer in the summer then in Sicily for kite surfing to be a kite surfing instructor. I took that, went back to Belfast, did the quick turnaround and then flew out to Sicily and I spent summer there teaching and it was great, loved it. But I always felt like I was longing for here and the people that I met here, yeah. And at that point, I found myself thinking about snowboarding so much. I didn't really have... The same motivation to get up and get out kite surfing like I did with snowboarding, which was weird because obviously kite surfing is my my main thing. Yeah. And I spent my nights in Sicily applying for loads of jobs for the winter oh, in yeah. Meyerhofen. So I already knew that I was going to come back. I came back to Meyerhofen for my second season and I had applied to work in a bar instead of instruction. After just doing that instructor course, my parents were like, we just paid for this instructor course and now she's going to go work in a bar. Like, oh, what is she going to do next? Like, yeah, yeah. but um, Why was that? Why did you go and work in a bar? I felt like I wasn't very sociable in my first season. Right. Which is sort of true because you pretty much never met me. No. Yeah, on my first season, I, I lived with some stoners and they didn't really go out much. And because I lived 30 minute walk from town or wherever, I didn't really want to go out by myself. So... Yeah. Yeah, I just ended up that I uh, didn't really meet a lot of people. Also had a boyfriend, shout out to Stu Innes. We're now busy mates. So I was coming back and I was like, you know, I want to get to know like the cool people in town and how am I going to do that? I'm going to do that by working in the coolest bar or one of <laughs> the coolest bars, which is Scotland Yard. Came back, worked, worked in Scotty's, epic season, met Caitlin, who's now, um, yeah, like my 
she's like my right arm but yeah we had an epic season we worked together we shared a room up above scotland yard and that was it was pretty it was pretty lit and then this kind of leads into my whole van thing yeah when did you first start van lifing because you're a van lifer yeah i well yeah <laughs> you, you have been i am past, a van lifer yeah you've gone that way about it and instead of getting accommodation you bought a van yeah so i sort of got the idea from Stu, my ex-boyfriend because he was talking about wanting to live in a van and i was thinking that he was fucking crazy i was like why would you ever want to live in a van you know Stu has lived in his car which is a ford focus you know like his standards of living are very different to my standards mm-hmm. of living. So his idea of living in a van was like, throw a mattress in the back and you'll be grand. Whereas that was not really something that I was willing to do. <laughs> so that's why I thought he was crazy. I was like, yeah, yeah, like why, why would you want to live in a van? Like, not my vibe at all. Yeah, then whenever I was in um, Sicily, I met a guy who lived in a van. He was like, I'm Alex. I live in a van with my girlfriend. I was like, whoa that's crazy like living in a van's crazy but living in a van with another human being that's even crazier one day we were on the beach and he was like oh my van's over there do you want to take a look at it so yeah sure whatever went in and it was one of these like self-converted amazing vans and i'd never seen that before so i was like whoa this is nicer than my fucking house like what's going on Actually, his floor was the same floor that I had in like my newly renovated bedroom back in Belfast. Wow. Yeah, so I was like, what is mental? Like, you live here. Like, now I get it, honestly. So, and he had his own YouTube channel and stuff. So, immediately I get onto it. I'm like, YouTube and everything, like, you know, van life and realizing this is this whole movement and loads of people have done this. And here's my next idea. I'm like, oh, I want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) My parents are looking at me like, oh, God, here she goes again. (laughs) Yeah, and then now I come home to my parents and I'm like, guys, hear me out here. I think I want to live in a van now. And they're like, okay, yeah, like, show us, like, what's the crack? And then they were amazed. They were like, we think you should live in a van. And I'm like, yes, yes. (laughs) Like I said, very supportive. That's so cool, yeah. (laughs) And a bit crazy as well. So I came home after my season at Scotty's and immediately threw myself into this new van life thing. So started working like three jobs. Like so I was working with my dad as his receptionist and I was working in a um a restaurant as well and then did some like events stuff in the evenings and got money together to buy a van and then I spent that whole summer actually at home then doing all the renovations to the van hoping that it would be ready for the next winter to be able to come back to my oven (laughs) it wasn't ready to come back so I ended up having to spend a little bit more of the winter as well back in Ireland and I was just like really rushing to try and get the van done so I could at least come out at the end of the season which I did then and came out in March that season so it wasn't a full season it was just the last couple months or whatever i got another job in sicily again and went back to sicily and did a season there in the van kite surfing Um, again yeah but yeah i guess this is the whole like start to like me living in a van and how disastrous that was because when i arrived out here in march like i was like oh yeah fucking sick like van life for now like look at me my cool new van and like it was all kitted out and it looked so nice but Oh my god, it was a disaster. Really? Yeah, because... So, the guys that I had had back in Belfast to help me with my electrics, they'd 
wired everything wrong. Oh, no. So that broke pretty much the day I arrived in Austria. Oh, no. So, like, my heater didn't work. And they had wired all of the electrics to the van battery. They'd not put a split charge in. It's, like, all kind of, like, van lingo, basically. Yeah. They fucked up, and my van battery just was, like, drained. Like, so I could, even if I turned on, like, a light in the van it would just be like draining the van battery and you know okay. i had two leisure batteries and solar but that wasn't being used because they'd wired it like all wrong oh my goodness and like no one could really figure it out i had some guys here look at it and some friends and they were just like yeah like it's spaghetti junction back there with all the wires you know we don't know what's wow. what and we can't really help you and then the van got stuck in a, in a ditch for a while because yeah not like in the ghetto campsite that i lived in <laughs> Actually, then the biggest problem that I had with the van was a guy called Matt McCarty. Do you remember him? I I don't actually know Matt very well, but I know, yeah, I know, I've seen him about and I know who he is. He went to put fuel into my van because I was driving him to Lax in Switzerland. I don't really know why, but anyway, long story short, he put the diesel into my fresh water tank instead of my fuel tank. Right. Yeah. That, like... Oh, dear. Yeah. Some people are like, oh, well, at least you didn't put petrol into the diesel. I was like, well, actually, that would have been better because I would have been covered for that on, like, roadside insurance. But, you know, I wasn't covered for someone putting diesel into my freshwater tank. So not only did I have, like, no electrics, no heating in the van, now I had no running water. So I was basically just living in a shell. I was basically living in it with, like, a mattress in the back of a van, like, like Stu would have done. <laughs> That was my reality after like thousands of pounds and a year later of doing this, I was living in a shell. I was cold and miserable. Oh no. Oh, and BTW, I also dislocated my um, shoulder. Yeah. So not in a good way. No. No. So that was the disastrous start to the yeah. hashtag solo female van life. <laughs> <laughs> what we'll do later is get onto your advice for anyone who is going to do this. Oh my God. <laughs> Don't do it. No day. It's great. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, where did you go from there? What happened next? After that third season in uh, Meyerhoff, and I had to go back to Belfast uh, to sort out all of these um, issues, get the water tank fixed and all of that. Head back with my tin can with a mattress in the back. <laughs> <laughs> and I dislocated my shoulder. Oh, no, so I was waiting to snowboard all summer and then end up missing the first part of the season because I'm building my van. Get there in March, I'm like yeah i'm here like can't wait to snowboard again fourth day riding fall in the park dislocate my shoulder man that yeah. sucks did you get the van fixed i did get it fixed it has broken since <laughs> <laughs> but it was fixed for a short period of time yeah so now okay. it's summer so i go to sicily then and i spend back to the same place Back to the same place, yeah. I'm quite a returning seasonaire. I don't really branch out to very many places. Whereabouts in <laughs> Sicily was it that you went? A spot called Lo Stagione. Mm -hmm. It's near Trapani. It's on the west coast of Sicily. Why do you keep going back to the same places? It's the people, man. Like, you can't beat the people. And I'm also like, oh, I know that if I go somewhere else, I'll meet more cool people. And I don't know, it just feels like the people that you meet here are special. And... I kind of felt that, that about Sicily in a way and because I also knew that I could get a job there and I had an idea because it would be my first summer in the van, mm -hmm. I had an idea of maybe where I could park and stuff so I felt yeah, like a bit, a bit more familiar. Yeah, a bit more familiar and I felt a bit safer and like because I had knew, I knew people already there, if something did 
go wrong in the van again. Um, yeah, you'd have that, contacts. Uh, yeah, I would have like someone there to kind of bail Smart, me out if I really yeah. needed it. How was that summer? I summer was great in Sicily. But were you planning then to come back to my house? So uh, this is a weird story because. I was determined. I was like, I'm not going back to Meyerhofen again. I've been there now for three seasons. I need to branch out a wee bit. I need to go somewhere else, meet new people. So I applied for jobs in other places. And then I was just pulled back in here by the people, you know. I've built such a cool circle of friends here. And it's so hard to leave that behind. It's the security that this place offers you as well. I mean, why would you? Why break what's not broken? What? Why fix what's if, not? If it's not broke, don't fix it. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> Do you kind of have that in Sicily as well? Is it the same people that kind of go back year on year? I guess it is for them now. So for me, the kite surfing, I've, I've put a pin in it. Right. Every time I'm kite surfing, I think about snowboarding. I felt like in the end, like then I got this sponsorship with Crazy Fly and I felt like in the end I was kite surfing because I almost felt like I had to. Okay. And I felt like I, I was good at this sport, so I had to kind of enjoy it. And I also dropped out of uni to do this sport and at one point wanted to be like a professional. And then it kind of got to the point where I was, I just knew like snowboarding was way more my thing. It was the last season that I did in Sicily. It was awesome. I had the best time with the best people. I just knew, I knew that something wasn't right. Like with snowboarding, it doesn't matter what the day, what the weather, I'm up, like I want to go and I will, even if I can't see your hand in front of your face and it's like cold and miserable up there, I can still have the best time. Whereas with, with kite surfing, I sort of felt it took way more for me to have a good time on the water. Right. And I felt like I put more pressure on myself or something and... The sport itself is really faffy. Like, there's a lot of equipment you need. It's obviously element dependent, so you need wind. And there's a lot of days with no wind. You have to have a lot a lot of gear and a lot of different kites, and you have to set it all up and pack it all down and wash it. And with snowboarding, it's kind of just like one board, and you just, like, you just go. Yeah. So I I kind of put a lot of thought into, into it in the, the last season they did in Sicily. I was like, trying to listen to myself I was like do I actually like this or do I maybe just like the idea of it like should I just really focus all of my attention now on snowboarding and then that's what I decided to do and that's when I spoke to like even my kite surfing friends they were just like yeah you just don't really seem into it like you just talk about snowboarding all the time it's actually quite annoying <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I kind of when I left Sicily I was like that's it I don't think I would do another season so I looked into doing summers snowboarding in New Zealand and then there was a global pandemic <laughs> oh no <laughs> so you came back to Meyerhofen yeah season number four <laughs> in a van that has now running water it has um <laughs> it has heating so at this point you know I'm kind of balling very nice I'm super balling <laughs> and I'm working as an instructor again ah cool yeah so last season I worked for SMT here in in Meyerhofen and that was great. I had the best time. Um, I learned a lot working with all my colleagues and like they did like good training and stuff there and had the sickest time. And I was now starting to put a lot of thought into like doing more with my instructing and I'm level two qualified. So after doing the teaching with SMT, 
I decided then I wanted I wanted to take this further. I want to do my level three, and I want to now make this a bit of a career, the instructing and the coaching side of things. When did you start doing the vlogging? Was that when you started doing the van life side of things? So I always wanted to do a vlog. When I started the van life thing, obviously I got all my ideas for building my van from watching van life vlogs on Mm -hmm. YouTube. My kind of idea of doing the van life thing was that I would do a vlog along with it. Never got around to it. (laughs) Standard. (laughs) Broke down too much. You're probably too busy trying to fix it. Yeah, oh my God, no one would want to watch that. Well, that's kind of what, what the vlog is. Now it's just like me with the fucking broken heater and everything (laughs) i didn't get round to actually starting the vlog until this year until this season it kind of took lockdown really to give me the kick up the ass that i needed because when i was sat at home you know baking my banana bread and doing my home workouts (laughs) 10 times a day i was like well i want so much more and how come i haven't done this before and what was holding me back and i kind of did a lot of self-reflecting and i just thought you know look at all this time now I'm wasting because I have no other choice and it just gave me like the motivation to be like as soon as I can get out and in my van again I'm gonna now make this count I'm gonna do all those things that I have put off for years I'm I'm just gonna like yeah grab life by the balls now and just like fuck it fuck who who cares what anyone thinks I'm gonna be a vlogger tell us a bit about your covid story where were you at the time you were here right so yeah I was I was here in Marhofen yeah everything happened very quickly do you remember? We I were, do. one day, I was just, you know, living my best life, you know, working every day, partying at night, you know, living in my van, which is great, by the way. It's got, like, running water and heating and, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm balling. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, you're hearing about this COVID-19 stuff and everyone's like, oh, it's nothing, you know, that's just something that's happening in China. And then, all of a sudden, it just sort of like got really real, didn't it? Yeah. And I remember putting into our girls WhatsApp, and like, hey, guys, are you like worried about this coronavirus thing? Like, do you worry that's going to like affect us? My parents were supposed to come to visit and they were talking about canceling their holiday. And everyone replied to me like, oh, what are you even whinging about? You know, it's obviously it's not going to affect us. Within 48 hours, I'd lost my job. And I was like leaving the country you know and it wow. it really was that fast and lift to close lost a job living in a van so staying here wasn't really an option wasn't registered you know wasn't really on any kind of like paper here or anything so i i just had to to get the fuck out like a lot of us did as i was driving out of austria you know the borders were literally shutting behind me and i got back to to belfast my parents' eyes went straight into two weeks quarantine and I and I had coronavirus <laughs> and it was a bit mad at that point you know everyone was thinking the world's gone crazy but we didn't know anyone that like actually had it or yeah and then some people were like starting to get sick and I saying like oh, imagine I had that coronavirus and like I remember saying I think I might have it guys and they were like oh my god so you're such a drama queen you don't have coronavirus <laughs> I was like I think I might they're like you don't have it and then like slowly one by one like people are posting in yeah. that season airs page like hey just been tested positive for corona like I've been in mics I've been in Scotland Yard I've been in and I'm like oh god but mm. everyone did think I was being a drama queen but saying I had coronavirus but I was at this stage you know back in Belfast and then woke up one day and had no taste or smell 
Oh no. And that was when I was like, oh yeah, I definitely have this thing. And it didn't come back for like six months, my taste and smell. Really? Yeah, I had that lasting symptom for so long. When did it come back? It started to come back like five months like after I'd lost it. Yeah, it wasn't until like well into the summer that I was only just like starting to taste things again. And still, I wouldn't say it's 100%. Like still, I can't really smell. Yeah, so then I was back in Belfast. I was in lockdown. Couldn't really do much. All my friends were still in Austria because you guys all like live in houses, so you could stay here. (laughs) (laughs) I had to find a few houses, but yeah. So I was back just living with mom and dad again, much to their delight. And kind of everyone was sort of trying to, I don't know, reinvent themselves a little bit. At least I know I was. I was like, well, I want to make my own vlog. I can't really do that because I'm not living in my van right now. So I kind of, I really like writing. And I decided to start my own blog. So I started writing and then, you know, I was like, well, I should kind of make like a name myself. And then that's where this whole, like, I just did a lot of brainstorming and then came up with uh, the sort of brand, I guess, called Femme Solo. Ah. And the Femme Solo is avid feminist. So I am. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so I took uh, Femme for like, yeah, the the feminist side of me and then this whole like solo female van life which is like a big community cool so that's where the solo came from so i was like oh femme solo yeah it kind of has a ring to it i'll roll with that and then made the blog and that's now kind of my instagram handle and yeah learned how to build my own website and yeah just used lockdown for all those kind of creative outlets which was good and so it served me pretty well Uh you also learned to skateboard i did oh my god so much fun Loved it. I was like, well, if I can't snowboard, I've got to do something. It kind of just started this little thing on my Instagram where I would video myself trying to ollie. And mm-hmm. then loads of people were being so nice and like messaging me like, oh, if you just, you know, put your foot a bit a little back and like pop a little bit more. And so it, it kind of came like this thing on my Instagram is like um, my daily ollie and like people giving me advice. And then I got on Tinder. Yeah. And then I, I went on a Tinder date. What? To the skate park. <laughs> yeah. Because... <laughs> that just popped out of nowhere so yeah i was skateboarding then i got on tinder well like what that's what everyone else did locked down no i got on tinder went down the skate park on a tinder date and then just really like i just loved it and that was sort of my yeah that was like my little escape as well in the lockdown which was great i got so into skating that i i built a mini ramp in my garden oh my god mom and dad next idea <laughs> When I really put this in a timeline, I'm like, I put my parents through so much shit, <laughs> even at 25. They're just like probably waiting for that phone call from me like, guys, so here we are here. Another idea. <laughs> They're so cool. Oh my God, mom and dad. Shout out to mom and dad. Can we just? <laughs> yeah, they, they let me build a mini ramp in our front garden, which is still there. Yeah, I was just like skating all, all over the summer and I was able to work for my dad as well, which was cool. So I was earning a little bit of cash over the lockdown. What were you doing? Dad's a doctor, GP, so I was just being his receptionist again. Um, love that job, by the way. Yeah? Yeah. Which is kind of strange because you'd think that like someone who loves nature and loves like you know, traveling and snowboarding and doing the season life that like sitting in a office chair answering phones for like nine to five, that they'd hate that. But I know I love it. <laughs> I love it so much. That's cool. But that's pretty cool. He works with all kinds of people in his practice. My dad's surgery is inner city. 
So like the housing around his surgery is um, where all the refugees are put, asylum seekers. And then he gets a lot of kind of um, addicts and things. So it's quite dynamic. Like an, a, yeah. a standard day in, in dad's surgery is, you know, a lot of different people, you know, yeah. a lot of different languages. Um, so it's, it's, you know, never a dull day. My dad's also set up a homeless healthcare where he looks after all the homeless population now in, in Belfast. So, you know, and that's why it makes the job uh, so interesting and so exciting. And that's why I think if, if I was to ever work in an office job, it would be probably just there because, um, yeah, I just really, I really enjoy, you know, meeting all these like people. And yeah. dad loves it as well. Like the most challenging cases, the most challenging patients is like his favorite. Yeah, so there was that little lull in the whole pandemic situation around like end of summer, I think. And I sort of jumped on that to get back out here. Travel was like kind of allowed at this stage. So I was like, cool, I'm getting out. So hopped in my van and I was like, this is the perfect way to start my vlog. So this is like my transition from being forced to like go back and live at home with my parents for the, the past six months to now moving back into my van and going back out into the van life world and back out into the mountains so then I documented that whole thing um and that's when I started my vlogging journey how's it going it's going good you know it's kind of tough at times to be that one that shoves your camera in people's faces all the time (laughs) the whole like talking to the camera and all of that like I have no problem with that usually people are really supportive which is cool the whole editing thing is is a bit of a minefield too but you know the the whole point for starting the vlog was you know it's not going to be perfect it's something I want to do and it's something that I'm going to be learning whilst I'm doing it um yeah just I'm really liking the whole process and really love it how did you start learning vlogging did you teach yourself to do that I think the best way is to watch other people you know if you have a dream and something that you really want to do I think the process should be you know, look at who's already living your dream mm-hmm. and then go do what they do. Or like ask them, you know, if you can ask them or like watch what they do. So I was sort of like, well, I want to I want to do this vlogging thing. So I watched a bunch of vloggers on YouTube and kind of seen what I liked about what they do and how they did. And then, yeah, you just kind of have to go for it. You kind of do have to like just make the jump, don't you? When you want to do something like that, like, you know, for example making a podcast or making a vlog or writing your blog and stuff you can sit and research it as much as you want and you can sit and practice it as much as you want but you're not really gonna learn it until you just do it did you do any tutorials for it no you just winged it i winged it yeah and i'm still just winging it you know i'm I'm very still like very early in the process Mm. of my whole like vlogging thing if you see other people doing it like you've seen other people van life and that's what got you into it Mm. you found things that you did like things you didn't and Mm -hmm. then from there if you just sort of copy other people's styles and things like that the reason that they've got so many followers is because it works exactly yeah so um yeah just make it your own as well and um you do have to find your own your own style and it's hard sometimes because sometimes I'm like, I have a bit of like an identity crisis. I'm like, is this really the person that I want to be? <laughs> Do I want to be a vlogger? You know, and then I'm like, fuck it. You know, I'm just going to like ride this wave. I'm just going to do it. It's the messages that I get from people 
who've watched it and they're like hey I really like that one and like you know when he like a, when a randomer hits me up on Instagram and is like hey just watched your vlog like thought it was really funny or just watched your vlog like gives me a bit of advice for my broken heater and I'm like oh this is amazing like so someone nice. actually watched my vlog and liked it you know and <laughs> it's those little messages from people that you, you just yeah it makes, makes you it makes you want to make more yeah is there anything that you would advise people to do before they kind of embark on a van life journey yeah research the shit out of it van life is it's great but it's also sucks you know it's like there's so many things about van life that you don't see whenever you click on the hashtag van life hashtag on instagram yeah you know like they will show you the great views and all of that but a lot of van life is just like worrying about not using a lot of water when you wash your dishes and like trying to stagger how many showers you have in a week and how you can get away with like being not that smelly in public (laughs) (laughs) how do you kind of combat those things like when you need to go for a shower or whatever i mean if you're a campsite you have the facilities there but as you say you you sometimes park up in the woods or wherever you sort of are en route how do you combat that so this is where I'm so spoiled, you know, because I do come back to the same places. <laughs> That's what it's really about. That's why you keep coming back. It's definitely part of it, you know, because yeah. about now everyone knows that I'm that chick that lives in a van. So, you know, and my van's pretty recognized around town. Like, oh, there she is again. And because I have like a lot of friends in this town, I can stagger it, you know, like I can I move around all the showers. I, I try them all out, you know, like sometimes I go to, you know, Ashlyn's and then the next time I'll go to Siobhan's and then the next time <laughs> I'll like pop into the Schwender house, see what's going on over there. And yeah, like I, I, I get away with it. I get away with it here. And I think that's what holds me back from going anywhere else because I don't think I'll get away with it anywhere else. Smart. Yeah. And, and you know, I like van life is it's easy here whenever you've, you've got that and whenever you've got people that you know and people's houses that you can just like hit up and stick a wash on and all of that so I'm a little bit spoiled you know <laughs> whenever I was starting the van life thing I was aware because I'd watched the vlogs where people tell you van life isn't all you see on Instagram and I was like really you know hi and I, I made sure that I weighed out all of the pros and cons I had my eyes open to what I was getting myself into actually right and for me despite all of the bad sides I knew that it was still gonna be worth it and it was, like, I've had so many bad sides to van life and overall, 100% it's been worth it. And yeah, like, I, I don't don't regret a thing. But that that's the biggest thing. You know, and all the information is out there and YouTube is great for that. And I think with my own vlog as well, that's what I really wanted to show people, you know. I didn't want to make this vlog where it was all, like, sunshine and rainbows and showing everyone, like, oh, look, my life is so great. You know, I'm... <laughs> There's something that goes wrong in every single one of my vlogs, I think, with my van. <laughs> and I'm like crying, have a mental breakdown, you know, because that's what I wanted to show. And I think that's so important for people here starting off the van life process to see like just what, you know, we go through. Yeah. And like what, what we encounter. And yeah, you just have to go into it with your, with your eyes wide open and do your research and just like make sure that it is actually for you. And also, you know, making sure that you pick the right van for the right like journey that you're gonna have you know i i obviously am gonna be living in the mountains um in the winter in my van so i knew that i had to build it like super durable for that and super warm and insulated and all you know but if you're only looking for a van that 
is going to be you know, for surfing on the beach in the summer in a hot place, then you're not going to need to spend a lot of time and um, energy and money into insulating it really well. So, you know, you have to you have to know exactly what it is that you want your van to do and where you want it to be and how long you're going to live in it. And, you know, it's, it's so much you have to think about. Yeah. Awesome advice. Thank you. As you said, you went on YouTube and you looked at other van lifers. Are there any particularly that you would recommend to people to check out before they go on their journey or if they're thinking about van life themselves? Yeah, um, there's tons. So I watch a lot of Nate Murphy. I watch a lot of my personal friend who got me into van life, the first person I ever met who lived in a van. He's called Kite Van Man on uh, YouTube. And he's sick. He's like really consistent with his vlogs and a couple of years ago even like made a little challenge of himself to try and do like a mini vlog a day and it was all in winter in Morzine oh, wow. so it was like him living in a van in in winter Morzine he he vlogged all about the the bad sides too which I learned a lot from him because he had like this big problem with mold in his van oh, no. and it was just as I was building mine and it's like you know when you've got like your wet snowboard and then maybe you put your heater on and then the wood that he had like you know when you get like that fancy tongue and groove wood which I have in my van his then all kind of started to, to mold and like rot. And then that was like just before I was setting off to come here. Oh, and wow. I like sprayed the my basement in my van or like the garage area. I sprayed it with like this mold proof thing. That's such a random thing that I told you. But anyway, like. <laughs> but it's a good tip. That's just like an example of, you know, watching a quick like one of his like little quick daily vlogs. And then it really, really helped me with like such a big issue wow, that I yeah. could have had. So his are really good. And then. One of my favorite van life vlogs is Eamon and Beck. They're this couple that live in a van and they've lived in a couple of vans. They've um, they built them all themselves. And yeah, they're, they're a super, super cute couple. I don't know, kind of obsessed. All right. So people who are listening need to go and check those out if anyone's thinking of embarking on a van life journey. Mm-hmm, definitely. You still have your van here. I saw you pull up in it earlier. So yeah, this, this is a little bit sad because um, when I set off, to come here starting my vlog and all back in the van after you know the lockdown and things obviously didn't get any better did they with the whole pandemic situation <laughs> no we're still under strict conditions and yeah lockdowns and, and things like that and maybe i was a bit naive thinking that you know things were gonna keep getting better so you know van life is great you know van life is all about freedom and that's why we do it because you know we're the type of people that want that kind of freedom you know we don't want to be tied down to rental contracts and yeah. you know one place you know and that's what it's all about but if you don't have freedom like we don't really at the moment you can't really do van life <laughs> <laughs> and it was just getting a bit difficult you know at the moment it's really important to be registered because if you get corona you need to be quarantining in a in a place you also need to have an address to be able to go to these wonderful free tests that we can get, you know, any day. And I just didn't have that. And that was just becoming really, really stressful. You know, I, I'm here with no job because I can't get one. I then had no address. I was in like a foreign car, essentially, trying to live in it. All the campsites are closed. And I just felt like I was looking over my shoulder every two minutes, you know, and worried that, you know, if I did get a knock on my door with the by, by a policeman saying, what are you doing here? I'd have to leave, you know, I'd have to leave yeah. the country. And for me, that's not really an option now. You know, I've got a relationship here. I've got all my friends. Like, this is where I want to be. And 
I just didn't want to take that risk, so I had to rent a rent a flat now, which is like such first world problems, but it is what it is, and I will definitely be be back in the van, you know, as soon as travel's allowed, I'm going to be taking it on trips, but for the time being, it unfortunately is just my vessel to the mountain every day and home to my flat in Innsbruck, in the city. Like you say, at the moment, things are really difficult, and I think that's a really sensible and safer decision than mm-hmm. living in a van when things are so uncertain at the moment. I ended up where I was like, okay, now I'm renting a flat. And then, you know, I had to get get an Austrian bank account finally, you know, for like my, my rent and all of that. And then to get an Austrian bank account, I needed an Austrian phone number and all this. So it was like all of these things that I was like trying to push away for so long. Like, no, I'm a hippie. I live in a van, you know, like <laughs> I'm on this. I'm well and truly on the system now. <laughs> To be on the mountain, you mentioned very briefly that we need to have tests. Mm-hmm. I haven't actually spoken on the podcast about the tests that are required. Can you just describe for our listeners what the process is to continue to be doing that at the moment? You know, if I can snowboard, I, I'll take a cotton swab up my nose three times a week if it means I can stay in the mountain. Yeah. Like, I think it's cool that, you know, they're doing this free testing and it's so fast. Like, I'm in and out of the thing in less than two minutes and i live right next to the test center in inspect too yeah, quite so convenient. It's, yeah it's so like it's so easy for me yeah so what they do is they have a really long cotton swab and they put it right up your nose it's uncomfortable but it's very quick and it gives the results so that we're allowed to actually go on the piste yeah. on the mountain and it's cool because then when you do go up and you're kind of like snowboarding with your mates or whatever you know that everyone's had a negative test so it just does put you a little bit more at ease. And for me, it's not a big deal. Like, I know it's a bit of a drag. Like, it's just, you, you would rather not have to do a test. But if it's going to keep the mountain open and it means that I can still snowboard every day. Exactly. Yeah, it's just, yeah, the, the quick test, obviously, it's it's not valid after 48 hours. So if you do want to go snowboarding every day like me, I have to get three a week. <laughs> so it's a lot, you know, to be poked in, in the brain. But... <laughs> They go right on up there, don't they? Yeah, like my two brain cells in there having a party. (laughs) (laughs) But it's so worth it. And we're extremely lucky to be in the position that we are to Mm -hmm. be here. Hashtag blessed. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag blessed. Did you have any problems coming out here with Brexit or what's the situation? No, so I'm quite lucky because I do I identify as Irish, so I've I've got an Irish passport and um the people who live in Northern Ireland we have got a right to dual citizenship. Okay. So you can um you have the right to an Irish passport and a British passport. So from what I'm hearing is that <laughs> all of the people who want to do things like this if it's on your radar at all, you can just get your Irish passport and then the, the Brexit visa situation does not apply to you. So it's still possible. That's good. And it means you yeah. can be here as well. The only thing that actually affects me with the whole Brexit thing is my van because it has British plates on it. Oh, right. So, so what do you have to do with I, that? I have to get some different kind of insurance thing or like they've sent me like a label now that I have to put in the front of my van or something. What's been the most challenging part throughout your seasons or van lifing? Do you know what? The most challenging part is probably being away from mom and dad. I miss them so much. And my dad loves snowboarding as well and everything. So I just I wish I could have him here with me sometimes. Aww. Um and to like share this experience 
with him yeah, minus sure. all of the like drunken nights and bad decisions offs yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my next question was going to be what do you miss most about belfast obviously it is your family but is there anything else that you really miss about being back home well i kind of think belfast is class and if i could snowboard there i probably would never leave yeah yeah, because, you know, I'm I'm well into Irish culture. I've been Irish dancing since I was really, really young. That was, like, always my thing growing up. And, like, I danced and sang in a Keeley band. And I did a load of traveling with that wow. um, growing up. So I'm a very proud Irish person. And, like, I love all the culture. And, you know, when I'm home, like, I'll, I'll be still Irish dancing and, like, playing music and all of that. Yeah, that's that's really what I miss. Like, I... It like kind of breaks my heart a little bit that I don't have that out here, and I'm always like longing a little bit for for that. And I think that is like the hardest part about being away and like being away from. I don't have that many good friends like left at home, but I have two really really close ones, Lara and Fergal. And they're like we're my rocks, you know. We've yeah. we've been together since we were like three years old, <laughs> so that that's hard, you know. There's still obviously people that you care about at home and. You, when you do go away, you are spending like these big blocks of time, you know, six months at a time, away from friends and family, and you kind of have to get used to like things that you're gonna miss, miss out on back home. You know, mm-hmm. they're still doing things without you, and even family events and things, and yeah, you know, you kind of have to get used to the fact that you can't really, you can't be at them all, and that is difficult. That's why it's so important to to make the good friends that we have right here because that that kind of does become your family, you know. Yeah. Like we we spend Christmas together and everything out here, and we're so 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 close. Yeah, for sure. With the van life, I wanted to know if there was something that you never leave home without. Yeah, this this is interesting because I think a lot of people when they think you know girl who lives in a camper van, they think you know big hippie. Hairy legs, hairy armpits, like doesn't wear makeup, you know. And I kind of wanted to squash that stereotype. A lot of van life vloggers that I did watch kind of are very minimalist, you know. Like they are a bit on the on the hippie side, and they don't have a lot of clothes, and they try to you know bring like one pair of trousers and like two tops, and mm-hmm. you know they they make it work. And I'm sort of like not me, not my thing, you know. <laughs> I like to dress up. If I'm going out at night, like I'm gonna put my makeup on. I'm gonna dress up. You know, I have a lot of shoes and <laughs> I don't want to sacrifice all my clothes. Like, I, I when I were designing my van, I designed it with a lot of cupboards to fit all my clothes. So I was like, you know, just because I live in a van doesn't mean that I'm a rat bag, you know? Like, <laughs> I feel like I'm not your stereotypical van lifer, really. Um, I'm a little bit different to that. And it, I did want to show with, with the vlogs and everything that you don't have to live like a rat bag in a van. You actually can live quite nice in the van. When it works, mind you, my, my van breaks quite a lot. So I end up living like a bit of a rat bag sometimes. But <laughs> but yeah, and it's, it's you know, you, you, can, you can live really comfortably in a van as well. And it's not just for a one type of person. Mm-hmm. It's not just for like the stereotypical like hippie, you know, kind of person like anyone yeah. can do and um yeah don't conform to all these stereotypes so going back to the one thing that you take everywhere with you oh yeah that question that i didn't answer is there <laughs> something like a travel hack for example is there something that you find extremely useful everywhere you go i actually get asked this quite a lot 
Um, well, no, I've asked a very basic question. That's not good. No, no, no. Like, I get asked, like, what's, what's the one thing in for van life that you, you that you can live without? And I always panic. I, like, sheer panic oh, goes really? into me when someone asks me this question. Because for some reason, the only thing that pops into my head is my North Face slippers. <laughs> and I don't know why, but that's always what pops into my head when someone's like, what's your, like, best item for, for van life, whatever. Um, and I just call them my adventure slippers. And they are really awesome. Like, you know, they've got the hard soles. You can wear them, like, outdoors as well. And they're furry on the inside. They're insulated, like, perfect for vin- win- winter. <laughs> winter? Oh, God, I'm so German. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know why. But those those are my favorite, like, item that I have in, in my van. And I normally don't leave home without them. Because you've probably seen me in the bars and everything with my North Face slippers I on. I probably and- have, yeah. <laughs> There's probably a well better answer to this question, ah. but right now that's just all that. That's just every time North Face slippers pops into my head. Are there any books or publications, movies, anything like that that you would advise our listeners to check out? Yeah, so there's this book that I read recently, and it's called "Feminists Don't Wear Pink and Other Lies," right. and it's just a bunch of little like short stories it's kind of a book that's compiled of like a a bunch of like little short stories or like little anecdotes or like of all these different women it's their sort of journey into feminism it's kind of like oh that f word like oh god don't mention feminism Mm -hmm. um and how it's maybe like a bit of like a a scary one and like people like oh it's a bit like the word vegan you know people go oh god yeah don't know i'm a fucking vegan feminist over here like so i'm the worst kind of human that you can possibly get um i really liked it because i was i sort of also thought this about feminism i was like oh i mean i think i'm a feminist i mean i believe in equal rights but like you know i still like a man to open the door for me is that does that mean i'm not a feminist (laughs) and it's kind of like it just makes it more of this more approachable um subject and, you know, like, we're all feminists. And, like, maybe we're just not activists. And, you know, maybe we, we're a feminist, but we, you know, like a man to open a door for us or like a man to pay on the first date. And it's just, like, you can be a feminist and, like, still like all these other things. And um, it just made made my journey into, like, feminism and, like, being a feminist. Like, it kind of made it a bit clearer. And hearing all these, these women talk about, like, discovering that they were a feminist and, like, their kind of, like, own personal stories and... Yeah, I really liked it and I would recommend it to any woman or man out there who is kind of like, oh yeah, what, what's this all about? What is the best thing about doing seasons? I can list three of my top ones. Do it. Doing the sport, so snowboarding, mm-hmm. being in nature all of the time. I just wake up and I open my window or, you know, glance to the side and it's just a beautiful snowy mountain mm-hmm. in my view. Like, that's insane. And obviously the people. Everyone's from all walks of life, all different types of personalities, and we're just all here bound by this one thing, which is snowboarding, skiing, um, and the love of mountains. And mm-hmm. that's super cool. Are there any opportunities that stand out to you from doing seasons or living and working abroad that stand out to you that you wouldn't have had unless you had come out and done these things? I wouldn't have visited the places that I've seen. I think I'm grateful for kite surfing that it has brought me to places that I really wouldn't have thought to go mm-hmm. because kite spots tend to be located in like kind of weird areas, you know, where they've there's a little lagoon somewhere that's, you know, happens to get a lot of wind. And yeah, like 
this little lagoon that's on that west coast of Sicily was derelict until a kite surfer discovered it like five years ago or something oh, and wow. now it's like super thriving kite spot you know so it's it's really taken me to such amazing places and actually you know I wouldn't have I wouldn't have started this whole van life thing and femme solo thing and my love of writing came from just you know talking to people and I feel like I've evolved so much more in like my likes and dislikes and hobbies and everything from just being so open-minded and surrounding myself with such open-minded people as well and um, seeing what other people do with their lives and yeah like I said being like oh, I want to do that it, there's so many opportunities that I've had from doing seasons that I wouldn't wouldn't have had if I had just yeah stayed and been a primary school teacher right now are there any unlikely stories that stand out to you from your time doing seasons actually maybe this kind of ties into the opportunities question okay um so I ended up with kite surfing a couple of years ago in Egypt I landed myself this gig where I was an instructor for people on a luxury yacht. Don't ask me how I managed to land this job, right? But anyway, here's me setting off in like this pretty much super yacht um, with these people who had booked on to get a luxury experience and train with like these basically like pro or like pro people. And I ended up being fucking one of them. <laughs> so I went in this yacht and these people paid thousands of pounds to go on this this yacht um to learn kite surfing or some of them were like just training like for freestyle i went on you know and i was being paid to go on there but i was just being treated like a guest and the whole thing for them was like they wanted the experience so they were like they got to like eat with me and i don't know i think they thought that i was like famous Um, okay well, I definitely felt like I was famous. <laughs> Maybe it was just me that thought I was famous. But anyway, like here's me living my best life on a, on like a yacht um, with these people, dining with them every night, and then we'd wake up at like five a.m. and like do um, sunrise kite sessions cool. in Egypt, you know, on the Red Sea. This yacht would take us to these um, little like islands with no one on them, and you know the the clearest blue water and. And I did like three charters, I think, with them. Oh wow! Uh yeah, I just I got treated like a like a god, you know. It was <laughs> insane. How did you even get into that? The company actually was what my dad learned to kite surf with them mm-hmm. back in the day, and then I learned to kite surf with them, and then so we've kind of known them for years. And then I have this really good friend, Lati Gabolski, who's um, a filmer and photographer in the kitesurfing world. And he's like quite well known. He's like the big dog in, mm-hmm. in the kitesurfing world for all that. He's a really, really good friend of mine. He's a bit, a bit of a life coach for me as well. Um, he's guided me through a lot of things. And he was doing like a video for this company. And he was like, yeah, do you want to come? So we ended up like going on this yacht together just to shoot this promo video for like, you know, you can come in this yacht and, you know, live like a king and learn kite surfing from the best. And went there, did a bit of coaching. And then I just got invited back like two more times. Oh, wow. Cool. That was like a total bizarre opportunity that I had with kite surfing. (laughs) That's when I reached my peak and then it was all downhill after that. (laughs) (laughs) What would your advice be to anyone who does want to go and do kite surfing? Is there anything in that area that you think? Get lessons. Mm-hmm. You can't wing it. You know, you can you can get a snowboard and you can kind of wing it. You're going to hurt yourself, but you'll be grand. Kite surfing is not something that you can 
um learn by yourself you have to take lessons because it's actually a matter of life and death it's mm-hmm. really dangerous you know those kite lines are so strong it's like you know that wire that cuts cheese mm-hmm. that's pretty much what's going to do to you if you like knock it into someone so wow <laughs> yeah like there was this girl in brazil once that got a kite line to the face and she like lost her whole face oh wow yeah so it's really it's really dangerous you know you don't want to be handling one of those things if you don't know what you're doing it's a bit like paragliding you know you wouldn't just like go get a, get a paraglide and jump off a mountain no. be like oh i'm sure it'll be fine you, know, you get lessons for that shit it's the same with kite surfing um and that that's the that's the advice and also you're gonna hate it before you love it because it's a very frustrating sport the learning process is quite long but once you do get up on the water and ride in it's it is great and like that feeling is amazing yeah are there any quotes that you kind of live by yeah there is it's Oscar Wilde, youth is wasted on the young. And I had this moment one time and it was actually with my best friend Fergal and we had just finished a show like an, with Irish dancing and we were dancing with all these different countries and we had this party after where everyone was playing their instruments and we were all dancing and it was just like, it was one of those moments. And he turned around to me and he goes, hey, youth's not wasted on us. And I was like, hell yeah, it's not. I'm going to make sure of that. And that's kind of something that I think about a lot. Like, I don't want to waste my youth. And yeah, I do think about that quote always, because even when I said earlier that I, um, I phoned my mom and I was like, I'm going to drop out of university because I want to be a professional kite surfer and like, I need to start now. And that was, I, I, I always just kind of had that, like, if, if I'm going to do it, I need to just do it now. Yeah, I think that's, that's super important. Like, don't yeah. waste your time. You know, you can sit there and think about it and be like, yeah, well, maybe it's not the right time now. And like, oh, yeah, thing, things just aren't really. It's like, you know, it's never going to be a better time than now. So just fucking do it, you know? Yeah. If you had one message that you could get out to younger people, what would that be? That is a really good question because the younger generation now is it's so different to when we were young. I'm the youngest. I like that you're saying we. <laughs> I was just going to add, I'm actually the youngest person in my friendship group currently <laughs> i think i'm the oldest <laughs> <laughs> and they're all like because i'm like on tiktok and stuff and they're like oh god you know like you're so young <laughs> and i panic you know because i'm like i'm not oh god i'm 25 you know i'm getting on you know like I, there's so many things i'm never gonna be because i'm 25 now and like you know i've only got so many cute years left <laughs> <laughs> um i think it's it's maybe probably that same thing is you know, don't don't waste these years. And mm-hmm. I think it's so important for us to tell young people right now that it's okay to not have a clue what you want to do. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't know what you want to do. I'm still not so sure about it all. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's just so pushed upon you that, you know, you, you finish school and then obviously you go to uni and then, like, you can't decide when you're 17 that, you know what you want to do you've not had enough life experience all you've done is like go home go out with your friends go to school maybe go on a couple of holidays you don't know what the world is like and you don't know who you are and that's okay you know you you have to do these years of not knowing who you are and like reinventing yourself a million times like I do you know I'm, yeah. I'm a different person every week <laughs> yeah but that's the thing realistically how many people are going to know that they want to do the same thing when they're 40 as when they're 17, 18, 19. 
Exactly. And you know what? This is the best thing about seasons is because you come here, you meet people from all different walks of life, Mm. all different countries, all different cultures, and you learn so much and you listen to, you know, if you're all sitting around drinking a couple of beers and some topic comes up and you have an opinion on it, you're all of a sudden sitting across from like maybe a 35 year old Aussie guy who has a different opinion and where else are you going to get that other than like a, a season kind yeah. of um situation yeah, and it's kind of strange when you think about it yeah <laughs> so, it, you know, so many different people at different ages different walks of life that kind of just sort of yeah, end up in the and, same places and you, you learn so much from each other and that's how you learn so much about yourself as well and that's mm-hmm. so 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 important and i think Oh, I think seasons should be like mandatory, man. Like, <laughs> you know, you that's that's how you learn who you are and what, what you want to be and what kind of person you want to be and like what kind of person you don't want to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, For sure. Yeah, it's 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 so important. and It definitely I, opens people's eyes. I mean, even though we don't really speak German, we still, we still le- learned a bit of a language, like submerged ourselves in a new culture, mm-hmm. you know. And... If you're 18 and you're fresh out of school, there's no better thing to do than to do that, you know, to go to a different country, meet all these different kinds of people, um, learn all these new things, and then in a few years be like, okay, I think I want to do this now, or I've learned a lot about this and now I want to be a a teacher or a doctor or anything, and yeah. It is interesting to hear someone who's actually gone and, and done it and sort of dropped out and gone and tried other things and now you're going to pick it back up again which is really cool exactly yeah and the reason why i even chose to finish my degree was well one bored (laughs) lockdown (laughs) bored (laughs) time lots of time lots of time (laughs) and no job (laughs) (laughs) and just that i feel a lot more mature now that i can manage my time a lot better you know when i was in uni i was like pretty pretty book smart so whenever I went to university, I all of a sudden, you know, I was studying something that I didn't really care about. I didn't really want that much. My mind was elsewhere and I didn't really manage my time very well. So I'd leave all my assignments to the last minute and then I wasn't really doing as well as I could on them. Like I was still obviously doing like all right, but I was getting like lower grades than I knew that I deserved. And then like I saw like all the other people in my class that I knew that I was smarter than and then they were getting like firsts. I was like, how are they doing so well? Like, I'm definitely way smarter than that person. <laughs> like, how am I doing so shit? And then it was just because I, I wasn't into it. Yeah. I didn't care. And that's where I feel like I'm in a different part of, like a different place in my life now is because now I've had time to think about it and I'm like, okay, now I want to have this degree under my belt so I'm gonna work for it and I'm gonna whenever I do start in September that I'm actually gonna put my mind to it and mm-hmm. um, make my time for my study and you know actually have some fun with my assignments instead of seeing them as a chore like you do when you're yeah. 18 19 and I have fun just looking into it and researching and making the assignment and doing all of that and that's just really what what I lacked back then you know kind of feel like you're studying something you don't really want to study and then you're not really living up to the best of your ability and then you just kind of like scrape through and yeah you know no one wants that yeah it's the whole studying versus learning thing yeah because studying something that you don't care about because you're told to study it is different to enjoying the process of learning exactly so. and then you end up that you don't really learn that much Mm-mm. like there's so many people probably out there with like 
random degrees that they just about scraped through yeah. and didn't really like just about researched enough for, to make that assignment that they had the hands in but didn't actually spend time to understand it and to learn it properly and yeah the, I think you know me we're studying this education degree you know I I love teaching obviously I kind of it was a bit ironic that I dropped out of teaching to become a teacher essentially (laughs) (laughs) but I just don't want to teach in a classroom I want to teach on the mountain earlier on in the interview you said how you are a very proud Irish person would you say that that still feels like your home or where feels most like home other than Belfast like I said you know I I don't think I would leave if I could snowboard there yeah just because um of the culture and that's really what I I hope I'll never lose really like throughout my life and it scares me a little bit to think that what I want to do in the future is snow sports and and coaching people with disabilities mm-hmm. and it does scare me that I can't do that in Belfast <laughs> I can't do that at home so yeah it's probably inevitable that I'm not going to live there and that's not really where I'm going to end up and it breaks my heart a little bit to think that because when I do sort of picture my life like, oh, maybe I'll get married and have a couple of kids and, you know, they're going to go to the primary school that I went to and, you know, we'll live it. And I just know that that's actually probably not going to happen if I do want to follow the stream of mine. But it's so important to me that my, like, Irish culture and values and I hope that that is something that I'll never lose and I hope that I'll be able to carry that with me, you know, no matter where I settle and no matter where, where I live and no matter where I end up. Having a home, I think home will have to always be where at your mommy's house. <laughs> Back in mommy and daddy's house in Belfast. <laughs> if someone came to you and asked you for advice, they can only afford to go to one place and they say, Teresa, I want to go and do the season life or van life thing. Where would you advise them to go? I think where to go is a very personal thing. I think, you know, for me... I want to go somewhere where I can do this sport that I love. And that's kind of my motivating factor for travel is to do sport. So I think, you know, you kind of have to work that out for yourself where where you want to go. And I think you kind of have to break it down for yourself. And what do you want to get out of your travels? And what do you want to gain from it? Mm-hmm. And go from there. Because... I've told so many people, you know, like, oh, there's this amazing place called Meyerhofen and you should really go there. But people need to find their own kind of journey. You know, I stumbled upon this place by mistake and I feel like everyone kind of needs to, to have that story of their own. Probably if someone asked me this question off the cuff, I would say Austria because I do love the mountains. I've always said that I would rather be in snowboard pants and a hoodie than a bikini and I would rather be in the mountains than a beach any day like mm-hmm. I just love the scenery in Austria this is actually going to be my first summer that I'm going to spend in Austria yep. which is cool. is cool I'm really excited for that so because like everything that's white is apparently green in the summer I heard. it is indeed <laughs> I, I found that out last summer there's one last thing that I need to ask you oh it's a good one it's an easy one okay it's Is there anyone that you would like to call out to come on the show? I'm going to call out my ex-boyfriend, Stu Innes. Stu's actually a really interesting person. Like, grew up 
in France and then in Singapore and then back to Scotland for like a year uni similar to me dropped out to pursue snowboarding I'm trying to think of someone not here that I've met on my travels maybe I'll call out Latsy Kowalski Latsy Kowalski's also got a really interesting life story like he this is your mentor this is my mentor yeah he's done his like whole um photography videography like and he's real into the kind of like digital marketing social media like thing he's like a guru and all of that where's he from he's from Slovakia. oh really yeah oh wow but see uh lati started off as a seasonaire doing just like kitesurfing um seasons as an instructor and then started making these little like gopro edits back in the day when it was like not a thing and oh, then right. that's when he started his whole like videography thing and now he's like the top dog in um the kitesurfing world like made this movie for like basically the sean white of kitesurfing and like oh, wow. yeah so he's he's done so so well for himself and now he's actually like in dubai doing all that shit for like influencers and stuff cool anyone else um, I don't know if you thought about full blank. That could be a fun one. I mentioned it to Phil when I asked him to use Mondo Waves track <laughs> for oh, yeah, the podcast, yeah, and yeah. Uh, yeah, he seemed up for it. So hopefully we will get him on the show. Oh, I actually have someone that could be quite interesting. I've got a friend back home called Paul Kennedy, and he has done a season in Canada. But he has a really interesting story and he's like really good to talk about life shit too because he got hit by a car and almost died. Oh, and wow. um, yeah, like a few years ago. And like since that day, literally turned his life around. Now he's like set up his own, own like media business and he's um, yeah doing like really well. So he could be a really good one to, to talk to. Really, really lovely guy. Awesome. Hopefully you can put me in touch with him then. Yeah, I actually awesome. will because he'll be like well into this. Awesome. Uh, I've talked your ear off so much, Gina. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm really enjoying it. Thank you so much. That's good. What I was going to say is, what's next for Teresa? The next steps for me is to work towards the next level of my coaching qualifications. So I'm currently training from a level three and I was supposed to have done it already. But, you know, hashtag cancelled yeah. because of Corona. <laughs> So I'm now like kind of two years behind my mm. career plan for all of that, which is annoying, but hey ho, here we are. So I'm just going to continue to um, snowboard as much as possible, mm-hmm. train, sit these exams whenever I can. And then once I have this level three, I'm able to open up my own school, essentially. You know, that's going to be well down the line. Yeah, I just uh, want to get as much experience as I can with, with teaching. I want to eventually go to New Zealand do a summer there summer season because mm-hmm. uh, i didn't really get to do that and then i would love to do a year in canada my dream job essentially is to be a coach in the paralympics like that is dreams that's that's what i want to do yeah um so actually i should follow my own advice i need to get on to see who's who's doing that at the moment and go talk to them mm-hmm. and try and copy what they did I need to get these qualifications. I'm working towards them and that's that's just kind of the path that I'm on is to, to work, keep working, keep training. And in the meantime, you're going to keep vlogging and snowboarding and just getting your way through, I guess, the pandemic, <laughs> waiting for that yeah, to pass. Yeah, just trying to have as much fun as possible, to be honest. Yeah. You know, you've got to make light of this weird situation that we're all in. And I think when you're still allowed to go up the mountain and you still 
you know living where where you want to be and um, with cool friends around you it's quite easy to do that so yeah for sure we've all got to make the most of this period of time as much as we can but for those listeners who want to check out your vlog and all the sort of things you've been up to where can they go my instagram handle is at fem.solo that is f-e-m-m-e dot solo my website is exactly that www.femsolo.com and my youtube blog is um yeah just fem fem solo Teresa, it's been an absolute pleasure. I hope you've had a lovely time and it's been wonderful speaking to you. I haven't seen you for a while, so it's been great to catch up. This has been awesome, Gina. Thank you so much. Perfect. Thank you very much. It's been a blast. Oh, wow. Such a lovely catch up with our youngest guest so far. Thanks again to the feisty force that is Teresa Cullen for coming on the show today. If you enjoyed that and are after more Tales from Resort, why not scroll back through our earlier shows starting at the very beginning on episode one, where I talk ski seasons and super yachts with Lauren Lamari. You can also find us on Instagram at That Season Air Podcast. And as always, don't forget to check out the show notes for any links relating to today's show. You can now click to subscribe on any podcast platform to get new releases of this show as they come out. So please click and subscribe. A massive thank you to our sponsors Mike Sports Bar in Meyerhofen, Wandering Woods Coffee in the UK, and of course thank you to Mondo Wave for the music. Thanks for tuning in guys, and I look forward to seeing you all again next time. Bye.